Hey everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and everyone that's been sharing this podcast with your friends and spreading the word. Really appreciate that. It's been so good to connect with friends and musicians and fellow music industry people. Um, it's obviously a rough time for all of us that are in the music industry. And if you're an artist at all right now, it's really hard. Um, my friend Pete Shapiro is on the show today, who is an owner of a few venues and a festival and has helped my bands and my music and so many people in my scene uh, for many, many years, huge supporter of live music. You can just tell he's a serious fan. Um, it all started from when he made a film about the Grateful Dead and about the people that toured to follow the Grateful Dead. And he eventually was able to become a part owner in the wetlands. And uh, the wetlands was a club in New York City that really was like the epicenter for so many different bands. And at the time, there was no term jam band, but um, bands like Fish and Dave Matthews Band and the Spin Doctors and so many other artists would, would play this place all the time. And when I moved to New York City in the late 90s, uh, Lettuce had played there, I think, once, and Soul Live began a residency. And following that, Lettuce had a residency there where we would collaborate with people from all over the map. It's where we first linked up with John Schofield. Soul Live did shows with hip-hop legends. There was times where we got to bring some of our favorite musicians out on stage. I remember bringing Melvin Sparks, Bernard Purdy, and um, Ruben Wilson. I believe Idris Muhammad was there that night. And these are all guys that we worshipped um, in the organ trio world and watching that fan base just eat it up. And that was the whole thing is the wetlands was this scene of musicians that just were there all the time. And I should say actually fans and musicians that were there all the time. And there was this little community and many years later, there was a lot that happened in between. He created the Brooklyn bowl, which was kind of a continuation of that same vibe, even though it was a totally different club. We would go there, I would go there any night of the week and I'd always see people I knew and there'd be musicians that I knew or I'd sit in with the band that was playing. I lived right down the street. So he was just a huge, huge part of my musical development and I got to see so much great music that he helped put together. He put together the Fair Thee Well um, reunion concerts for the Grateful Dead where Trey from Fish actually filled in for the Jerry Garcia spot, which was a huge huge, huge concert um, in that community. And he's done countless other festivals and events. It's really hard to cover it all. But um, it was great to talk with him and very excited that he came on and did the show. And I actually just spoke with him and he helped me curate a playlist for this episode. So if you go to Spotify and you look up Eric Krasno Plus One, you find that this episode or any episode that has aired so far, you can actually find a playlist um, under that. I believe it's in like related music. So go check that out on Spotify. Follow us there. Follow us on Instagram, Kras Plus One, um, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They helped me put this show together. They have a lot of other great content. You can check it all out at OsirisPod.com. 
I also want to give a shout out to my people over at Relics Magazine. For those of you that don't know, Pete Shapiro is also an owner in Relics Magazine, which is one of the last standing music magazines. And they also have a huge online presence. So you can check them out at relics.com. And we talk about this in the episode, but Pete and I have done so many things together. Um, so many of my high points in my musical career can be attributed to Shapiro or Shapiro production. So many musical highlights, like I said, Bowl Live was created by him, my brother, and the band, which became our annual residency at Brooklyn Bowl, where Soul Live performed with people from all over the map, from Taleb Kweli and Farrell Monch to John Schofield and Warren Haynes and Derek Trucks and everywhere in between. And I think the theme here is that we brought together this musical community or really got to be a part of a a musical community that appreciated everything from hip-hop to jazz to funk to soul music as long as there was soul in the music people were there to appreciate it and i'm just so thankful that we had that opportunity to be a part of that movement that kind of brought together hip-hop soul funk jazz anything that had soul in it Um, people were there to appreciate it and I realized there was so many other like-minded people like myself that had you know Tribe Called Quest and The Grateful Dead in their CD collection or now I should say on our phones and so many different collaborations over the years Phil Lesh with Talib Kweli at the Apollo Lock In on stage with Bob Weir and John Mayer and Lettuce so many different uh, collaborations that I'll always remember happened at a Brooklyn Bowl or at a lock-in. Even the success of the band Circles Around the Sun, created by our good friend Neil Casal, all was spawned off of the idea to fill the set breaks of the Grateful Dead Fairly Well concerts with music. And that music then became its own thing, and they had their own identity, and that band kind of took off in their own way. So all of this relates back to, to one thing in my mind, is that Pete Shapiro thinks of these ideas and really acts on them. And a lot of times those ideas are collaborative with his team or with a band or with an artist, but his diligence to make these things happen, not only to have the ideas, but actually push through to make some of these ideas reality something I really admire and something that's inspired me and I think a lot of other people in our scene. So it was really great to connect with Pete and we had so much to talk about. I'm hoping that we can get him back for volume two. Before we get into the show, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I wanted to let you guys know that we're actually making playlists for every single episode of Plus One. They're curated by me and the artist that's on the show. If you go to your Spotify Go to Eric Krasno Plus One, find the episode. There'll be a description of the episode, and right below that, it'll say Featured Music, and you can click right on the playlist. Like I said, the playlists are curated by me and the artists that are on the show. Based on the conversations that we've had, they'll pick a few songs, they'll pick a few artists, but a lot of it is what we've talked about in the episode. So if you enjoyed the episode, it's actually a really cool recap to go back and hear some of the music that we talk about during the show. We're going to get into it right after a word from our sponsor. All right, so let's get into it. He's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a huge music fan, a concert promoter, a venue owner, a festival promoter, 
and the ultimate idea guy. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome my good friend and today's plus one, Mr. Peter Shapiro. You know, I was thinking about it before our talk and I was like, there's so many things that I have done that I can attribute to you over the years that like, I feel like we could do a 10 episode show on that alone. So it's, it's going to be, so we, we can go I'm as long as you want. i glad you did all that. I was just telling um, Stanton Moore, I was just texting with Stanton and yeah. we were saying, I'm glad. Cause we always, whenever we'd see each other, we'd hang out. Like it yeah. shows. Yeah, like yeah, of course. Some nights you can't. Sometimes for Stanton, we'd always, you know, hang out after. And I was just saying, I'm glad we did that. And I'm glad we did so much together because now we're not. <laughs> right. Well, one of the things about the COVID quarantine situation is, you know, especially me having this show, but I get to, like, there's been time to reflect on a lot of the things that we've done because you and I, and we still do this, but anytime you and I are doing a show, we are high-fiving about what we're doing, but we're also talking about the next thing. Every yeah. single time. Yeah. You know? I missed and I missed, one, yeah, one, you're right. One, one quote that I remembered from you that, and this wasn't even that long ago, we were talking and you were like, you know, some people, they get home and they turn on Netflix. You were like, my Netflix is staring at the ceiling and thinking about of yeah. all these amazing things that I'm going to do or all these crazy <laughs> ideas in my head, you know? Because that's what, when I explain you to other people, um, I think one of the things that I include have to include is like that you come up with incredible ideas and, you know, not all of them stick, obviously. No, I mean, this is, it's, yeah. it's similar to like writing a song for me or being in a studio because we throw every idea at the wall and the ones that stick, you know, from the people around us or sometimes, or sometimes it's just the passion inside of us is what sees it to fruition. And I wanted to ask you that is like, have you found the most successful things that you've done? Whereas did they come to fruition from, cause obviously you get a lot of ideas, the ones that turn into the biggest things were, were those things that pulled through because of your passion or was it because of the people rallying around you or a co combination? It's a great question. It's funny. I do a lot of talks with people. No one's really asked that. Um, you know, like for example, the best, the biggest thing I did was the 50th anniversary of the Grateful Dead. Right. You know, if people don't know, I tried to get the 40th. Right. right. I didn't get it. You know, that alone is a great explanation, though. Yeah, you know, I did. I mean, that says it right. You try, yeah. like, you can't, you can't get to the great stuff. Like for those songs you're working on, like you need the ones that fall away. Right. You know, life's not just like, I'm just going to hit, 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 hit. Like some are going to fall off. Yeah. And, um, and also no's lead to yeses. Yeah. Sometimes like the 40 led to 50. And like a lot of stuff, people are sometimes like, wow, you've done a lot of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you don't, a lot of it didn't happen. Right. And, um, and we've talked about the, like, and I, I've just come up with a new one. Um, that I'm going to try to do in the next six weeks or something. And like that one, I think is going to happen with what's cool is some of them, you have more. That's why I probably took over wetlands. Like I knew instinctively it was 1996. I was 23. I just, I was just a year out of college, Northwestern. I was an intern, right? Like at new line cinema. I wasn't like, I had no plan to like own a music venue. I was 23 and I was living at home. Yeah. 
And then I had this opportunity meeting Larry Blah, and I just knew here, here's this, this is the truth. Like it was such a great opportunity to have a state. I just cut around like a lot of the path. Yeah. I wasn't even on the path, yeah. but like normally you work this and like this random, what some of these people are like, how do I do kind of like what you do? I'm like that wetlands experience really made me, it's how I met you. Yeah. But it's also how I learned to have ideas that then like I had the stage. Right. We right. could come up with something and be like, let's do this power jam. Let's do this thing. It's so live. And what was it? 99 in the basement or 90 right. in 2000. Yeah. And we could make them happen. Cause I had the venue. I own this venue. Right. And like, that was such a big part of like, well, what I've been able to do is like having it and like having an idea and then be like, yeah, Wednesday, September 28th, you know, right. we're going to do soul live and friends. And we're going to get pie, you know, DJ logic when Stanley Jordan, we're going to, whatever yeah. we did to get lots of stuff. I didn't remember it all so yeah. much, yeah. But, uh, but, 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 but we learned and, and you and I a bunch together to, to, to actually pull stuff off. Right. right. Which is an important part of like the process of having the idea. And, um, and you know, one last thing I'll just add to that. Like, so when like I meet, cause I was an intern, Right. You know, too. And like, so we talked to the interns, I explained them like, whether you're doing a show for 30 people and you know, this yeah. 30, 300, 3000 or 30,000, a lot of the things that you have to put together for the show are the same, right? You have to book the show, right? Even if it's 30 people, you have to get the venue. Yeah. You got to book the band. You gotta make a deal for the band, deal for the venue. You gotta announce the show. Even if it's 30 people, you gotta tell your friends, oh, I got this cover band, you know, playing Janice or whatever. <laughs> and you gotta sell tickets, yeah. either 30 or 30,000. You gotta sell tickets. If it's right. 10 bucks or 100 bucks, you gotta rent the venue, you gotta prep for the loading, the, you know, the, the selling of tickets, the loading in of the band, the sound check, the run of show taking everyone into the show with the twos on the tickets, who's guest list and paying the band, settling with the band and like the set, the sound and the lights and the quality of the show, the energy security, that's all a lot of that you have to do it. If it's 30 people or right. 30,000. Right. Right. And so I encourage them or anyone listening, you know, even if you're like I did, my first big thing was the Hamlin street block party in Evanston, Illinois. And like, yeah. 1994 you know and i was 21 and but i was putting in place the same types of things that you need to do to take ideas and make them happen you right. know and and so you just need to learn to do it like we were talking about now i've just got experience and you do too so like yeah. you learn how to and now you get something like corona you know we're bobbing and weaving but like i've you can hear my voice you know that voice it's 20 years of like having ideas some of it happening some of it not happening but you learn the process by which to try and then right. anyone can do that that's my point it's like it doesn't matter i don't think if it's 30 people in a bar or the dick cover band you still got to go through the motions i think that also there's a certain fearlessness that you've always had um in terms of like you were ne you always had you were bold enough to try and I think that's something like in, like you said, when, when you put yourself in that position early on, um, 
you didn't necessarily have all the skill sets, but you knew what you wanted to get done. You had a vision of what you wanted to get done and you learned what happens between A and Z um, by like holding on to that vision. And I think it's the same thing with, with music and like producing records and all of that. Like for me, it's like a lot of times like having the studio is where we can chop wood. It's the same thing as like having a venue. It's like, we get, we have the studio, we try all these things. We don't always, but what it comes down to is you're known for the things that pop. You know what I mean? Like people don't, you know what I mean? Is they don't remember all the right. things that happened between, like there was a big time between the wetlands and the Brooklyn bowl where you yeah. and I were in contact a little bit, but I know there was a lot of things going on in your world. Yeah. But when you, when Brooklyn bowl happened, people were like, Shappy's back. You know what I mean? Like right. that was the thing you were, were known for. No, I went off and um, yeah, no, you're right. I, it's, you know, and I felt pressure a little yeah. bit after wetlands went away you know, some, a lot of people are like, Oh, you can do another wetlands. Yeah. And like, I thought about it, but then I, like, I looked at some spaces and I was just like, that's not wetlands. Yeah. You know, yeah, wetlands, yeah. whoever went was such a unique space yeah. and I didn't yeah. think we could replicate it, but that was a big thing to give up. Like I could have tried to go do another wetlands. Yeah. Like I could have done it. And, and it took some discipline to be like, nah, you know what? I'm not gonna be able to match that place right, right. and then i thought i'd fuck it and, and i had an experience and was, this is true i don't, I don't know if i really told it on thing like this before but i'll tell it like i swear it's had a lot of impact on me i saw my when you know when someone dies and like you have to choose whether like see the person or not in right. the casket yeah. so my grandfather died um and i went and saw him in the casket and like that image, you know, stayed with me for a while. And I kind of wished after that I had not seen him. Right. And right. you just remember him um, as he was, not not your brain. You can't even control the brain sometimes. Right, sometimes I wish I could figure out, you know, and you're like, don't think about the image of your grandfather in the casket. Right. Don't think of the image. You know, you tell yourself not to, but then it makes you it keep happen. doing yeah. it. Right. So then like I thought about wetlands that if I had tried to do another one after um, it closed around 9-11 in 2001, long time. Wow. Yeah. That's going to be 20 years, years soon. Yeah. Um, that like the new wetlands would be what people remember. Yeah. Right. Or that would be wetlands. And if it worked out amazing, amazing. If it didn't, I would actually have damaged. I felt the memory of the original one. Right. Because people's brain, you wouldn't even be able to be like, don't think of the new wetlands you went to on 29th and 11th Avenue or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. painted the space brown or green and had a VW. Like, you like, whatever the second one would have been, it's what people would have remembered for wetlands. Yeah. You know, so by not doing it, I felt that they would just remember. They would. Then there would be no new one to remember. You would only remember the original. Yeah. And so that's why I didn't do it. To be honest, I was nervous that I couldn't match it and that not that wouldn't be such a problem. Hey, try it. You know, like we're talking about ideas. You try some, some work, some don't, as long as you can survive, you know. But I actually felt I would damage the memory of the first one. I would take something away from it. Yeah. So that's why I didn't do it. I didn't want to screw And because, by the way, you know what else is interesting? You were, you were, we were together when Wetlands was there. Um, 
people like people love wetlands, but there were a lot of people like, ah, you know, like I used to joke with my friend John Moore who booked Bowery Ballroom, like, dude, you have it easy. Like Bowery Ballroom, just pick up the phone there, like holding right. 10 shows for every date on the calendar. Yeah. Everyone just want, we want Bowery Ballroom. You just yeah. picked up the phone. You wanted yeah. it. At Wetlands, the reality was you had to make phone calls. Yeah. You got to be like, call, yo, Craig's want to come play. It was, right. it was harder. The, the sight lines were not like, natural you couldn't see 40 yeah. percent of the people on the show that's just which made it great right so check this out because of bowery ballroom everyone can see the show right it's perfect sight lines and everyone's standing there and you just watch the show you know wetlands when it was sold out big soul live show you know we we you like 40 percent of the people was quick could not see so they'd right. go to the bar or they'd go in the basement. <laughs> right. Actually, you right. were a young man then. You were playing in the basement. That's one cool thing I did was turn the basement and make sense. And you'd hang out. And you know what? I meet people who are like, yo, I met my wife or I met my husband at Wetlands because we were in the basement or we were at the bar because we couldn't see. I mean, you could hear the show. We'd plumb it in, pipe it in. But you never, I don't think as many people met their wife at Bowery Ballroom. That's true. That's because true. you were standing on this floor. You never left your spot. You just watched the show. I also think watched. back to the basement thing. I think a lot of bands got a start there. I mean, I know we did um, yep. by playing those packed shows in between sets and whatever. And people had to go down there. In fact, people were there the whole night sometimes. So it was a really good breeding ground for young bands and and like new you know, music. I'm proud of that. That's the thing I added when I before I came in. So I came in in '96. Yeah, it opened in '89. It was like a den of you know debauchery, kind yeah. of like those pillows, those oh, couches. And Our maybe, first photo shoot, the first Soul Live. Uh, Remember, we used to have those like photos that you'd have backstage. It was like our press photo was shot down yeah. there on that couch. And oh, I remember, man. I remember like being like, I'm not going to sit on this couch with my suit, man. Yeah. But, uh, you, no, might, that, have, you might have like John Popper's <laughs> baby would come out or something. You get pregnant with Popper's. Oh my God. But yes. I mean, the memories in there, man, uh, cause I would come pretty much every night. I mean, I was a kid, but I was just moving to New York in, in 99. So I was just starting lettuce played there even before that. I think in 98, we started playing there. I sent my tape down there of lettuce and, uh, and then pretty wow. soon after I moved, you know, I got, I got, we started playing, you know, weeklies and, and we started doing these residencies, which was definitely the beginning of a whole, you know, thing for us. Cause like right. in the beginning, it, we were, were the just, other guys, Boston then or New York or um, with story. soul live. It was, we were moving around at that. We were on tour so much that right. the first year we didn't really have places. And then yeah, in 99, the very end of 99, I moved to Brooklyn Neil and Alan were like in the Northeast, like Massachusetts and Vermont, but right, everyone kind of like crap. We just like lived in a van. We, we lived on, t on the road. I ended up getting like, I had an apartment in Williamsburg that I, I remember I paid $250 a month. No way. I, mean, I remember I your brother my... was early. Your brother, yeah. Jeff was early Williamsburg. Yep. And the Gret yeah. and he was in the, the Smith gray, which is next to the Gretsch building. Okay. And I was across the street from there um, for many, for, for years. And then eventually Greenpoint. But, uh, you know, but anyway, the yeah, the, I mean, the wetlands, and then it's funny because then Brooklyn Bowl became the same thing for me, where it's like I would just roll up to the back door of either venue, be like, hey, and then whoever was playing that night, 
you know, I've actually just, cause I'm moving, I just found a box of photos and I got, there's like me on stage. Cause I had one, that was back when we had those, um, poor, uh, d- disposable cameras. Yeah. The cardboard things. Yeah. yeah. And there's pictures of me on stage with like Michael Franti up there and like logic no way. and, uh, Carl and Robert Walter. And, uh, I, we were just, I was just talking to Cheme on the show and we were talking about the Dap Kings and the early like Sugarman three, all those shows were like, so all these yep. people coming through that I'm still really close with and that I've worked with over the years. And it was all birthed there. Um, and then of course, you know, Brooklyn bowl, even though it was years later, as soon as we started playing there, it felt I had it had it had a total it was a totally different place, but that f- feeling of being part of a community, you know. Um, yeah, I'm very proud. I mean, that's the thing I'm most proud of. Probably is like that we were able to bring that vibe, that feel, and bring it there. And you talked a bit about in between the 9/11 and when Brooklyn Bowl opened in '09. Yeah. It took a while to build it and find it and a lot, but I was, you go like this. Yeah, of course. And, but I don't think any that wetland scene, I mean, there are BB Kings had some great nights and the Lions then, but like an Irving or Bowery, but like that wetland scene wasn't, I did kind of was able to probably feel like bring it back. Um, But it was hard. It was in Williamsburg now, which is like, I remember like in a blog when we opened the bowl, there was like a picture and it was like weeds, a field, like a field of just, or like a parking lot with weeds in it. And it's like, this is what Brooklyn bowl is going to look like. If the wetlands owner, Pete Shapiro thinks he's bringing, you know, the wetlands to Williamsburg. Right. right. (laughs) Jam bed, you know, straight, you know, and, um, but they loved it. You know, it was cool. And it was hard because everyone was kind of looking at us, this big thing coming in. And there was a lot of pressure. And some people looking for it to fail and saying, oh, it's not, you know, too big, not going to work. And it's back to that idea thing again. Like, you got to believe. Yeah. And it's hard. Maybe it's harder even now with everything going on. But I just believed um, that it could work. You know what I mean? The mix of the visual, the lanes. I mean, it wasn't really so much about bowling. Bowling's key, and it comes from New Orleans a bit. But yeah. I'm a film guy, and like what the the layout of the lanes enable with the visuals, the screens. And I felt we found that barn. Charlie, my partner, and I, we were just walk. We walked the streets ourselves. That's the other thing. If anyone was listening to this kind of stuff, like how do you fit? Like you got to kind of find the spot. It starts with the space, right? For me, and then I've done other. And we walked the streets and just found that spot. You know, I looked in Times Square after Wetlands went away. I found that um, Nokia Theater, which became Best Buy, which became like PlayStation, which became now it's gone. Yeah. Um, I looked there and, and I wanted, I was interested. And thank God I didn't. Um, and we were just walking the streets and we found this warehouse and we looked in. And instantly it was like, you know, there are no other buildings like that where we've been. It's yeah. like a 140-year-old giant warehouse barn, basically. Yeah. And um, what was it before? It was an I I mean, when we went, it was like a shady, run down yeah, there was nothing. storage yeah. facility. Nothing. It had been an ironworks foundry in yeah. the 1880s. It just was a warehouse and it was when we came in and there's photos and all the you know, but like leaking and just, just decrepit. And but you could see the magic. And actually yeah, what we yeah. did is we put a new roof on top. So some of that wood in the barn at the top is the original wood. It's like right. 
not functional wood, but we supported it and stuff. Yeah. But we tried to keep a bunch of that. And like the other thing is like when you build a venue like that, like Wetlands already had the magic. My yeah. job was to keep it going. Or like the Capitol Theater had the air. Like yeah. my job is to like keep it, you know, rent, bring it back a bit. But like when you start something from zero and it, you know, it takes years, I think years. It's yeah. just like experience with the ideas and like knowing when something, something's worth trying or not. And like th- there is value in ideas not happening in this, but like you don't want to do a venue and have it go wrong. But like you need to build the air and that comes from only like experience years and years of shows. Years. Yeah, true. You know, you need to do bowl live. Leave yeah, it, you need yeah. to do 100 soul live shows before you can have that air. <laughs> you know, I went to the bowl the other day, obviously been closed for like, four or five months yeah and i was in there alone and like i felt it was weird i felt good i always like i still when i go to shows dude this is true i still get a little nervous showing up like my heart beats a little fast walking up to the venue the night of a show no it's true and i don't show up or like when there's a big event if i was doing an award show or a movie like i don't want to be there early the fact like i'll be i'd rather like be in headquarters on the phone like where you and i are now like yeah. talking to people because when i get on site i start like seeing shit having ideas and then you look down at your phone it's like 46 texts yeah and, you miss, and i'm dead it's just <laughs> done remember when we did the jammies and stuff oh, like yeah yeah I, I would go at the last minute because like I would be just, I'd rather just back to like being on the bed, looking at the ceiling is my Netflix. Like sometimes I literally come home and my Netflix is just bad because I need to, to go to sleep. I need it to be zeroed out. Right. Right. Well, I can't, I don't feel good. Like does anyone else know that feeling? Like when you have shit built up, I don't like that feeling. Oh, I'm, I'm exactly. And literally, right. I'm exactly and so I want to bang shit back out and like, and then during the day, you're just like responding and dealing and blocking and tackling. So yeah. like the creative part, like we were, about, we were talking about, it's like, that's at the end. And like, it's hard. And I love watching a Netflix or a book or a movie, but like, it's hard for me. You know, I got to do this creative thing. You got to come up with those ideas, bro. For sure. For and, sure. Um, and I can't do that during the day. And yeah, shit's flying yeah. around. Right, right. Well, that that's because you're you're at that point you're maintaining all of the all of the the ideas that are in play. Um, right. You know, I always maintaining know, and trying to push them forward and push yeah. them forward. Right. A couple of things that I got to say real quick. One is that you always you always either call me or text me, and you always say I got one for you. That's always. <laughs> I got a good one or something like that. And you know, yeah. always know, you know, I'm, I answer your calls like on the set, like, you know, always like second ring. I'm like, okay, what do we got? Cause so many exciting things. Cause I'll, and honestly, sometimes you'll hit me with one thing and then we'll bat it back and forth and it becomes something else. Um, but the yeah, thing, but I, rem- but I remember running into you at the Almond Brothers at the Beacon Theater. This must have been like 2008, probably. And I think I sat in that night and I was like running up the thing and you're like, yo, Kras. And I'm like, yo, Pete. And you were, I think you said, because it was kind of like, it had to be kind of short because we were like yelling and it was like walking past each other. But you wanted to tell me about this idea of Brooklyn Bowl. And you were like, I'm opening them saying it's a bowling alley, soul live. And all I got out of it was bowling alley, soul live, two weeks. You're like, two weeks. 
<laughs> and I was like, huh? Yeah, but I, and I, I might be like distorting that in my memory a little bit. And I was like, I don't know what he was talking about. But then we had a conversation later and I think I, 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 I came and saw the venue. I know I came to the venue before it was open. And then as the conversation built, you know, my yeah, brother. Yeah, probably makes sense. It was March. Yeah. If it was the Almonds and we yeah, opened yeah. in July. Dude, but I remember like we did Bull Live obviously early on this 10 night run. It was yeah. just changed the direction of, for both of us. Yeah, it was yeah. just amazing. You know, you had to believe. But the first time you played at the Bull, you played one of the first gigs there. I, I actually remember where I was. I think it was technically the first night. I remember, I remember being on the phone with you. I mean, yeah. unless it was, so we had cell phones, which is good. Like, yeah. it's probably like 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago. I know where I was on the deck, the outdoor uh, thing of my, or the building I live in. Yeah. On the phone with you, me talking about Soul Live and you being like, maybe we start with an Eric Krasnow band show. Right, right. Just because everyone, you know, people were like, let's just try this fucking bowling yeah. concert venue thing out. People weren't sure. And right, didn't you play yeah. Eric Krasnow band like the first one? Yeah, it was. It was the it was me. I think Nigel and Deitch might have been in the the that version of the band. It was like Kras in Chapter Two, or maybe Eric Krasnow band build like that. No, no, no. I think it's Chapter Two. Yeah, it was Chapter Two. Probably was with Nigel and Chris. And I, I did. I called my friends. You know, yeah. you. And I remember being on the phone. Mark Brownstein from the Disco Biscuits be yep. like, "Yo, bro." He's like, "Yeah, dude." We're, you know, we're definitely going to come play. I think, you know, we tied up, we got some already booked in New York. So it might be next year that we come, but we're going to try it. And I was like, no, no, like, no, like we need you now. Bro. Yeah, we need to get like, this going. You now. know how much yeah. time for that kind of shit. And Warren came through early. Yeah, I remember like we, me and Jay bat. Yeah. I just got, you know, I'm, I'm glad we did so much and i didn't expect it we thought it'd be a fun place yeah um and then the idea was always built a little bit off of new orleans at late night and then you're such a um preacher if i can say that in a positive yeah. way of new orleans late yeah. night jazz fest when yeah. i think of late night jazz fest i think of crass yeah you know how many gigs you do of those two week 15 yeah, like at least crazy yeah, at least 20 so we did i did wanted to reflect that um that vibe and yeah. that energy of two three in the morning new orleans after jazz fest when it had you know you know that air it's like a distinct feel you know maybe that air is a little more sweat glands than brooklyn bowl where we got air conditioning it works yeah but um that that late night energy is what we wanted and that's what wetlands had a bit and by the way wetlands had that heat don't underestimate like sweating can be good at a moment like that humanistic but that's what I wanted. We wanted Charlie and I wanted to kind of figure out was like, could you bring that energy of late night in New Orleans to New York, you know, nightly? Yeah. You know, one quick story I'll just fire off, not the ass, but here's an idea that didn't work. Yeah. One that did was the idea of bringing Brooklyn Bowl, con you know, that energy to Vegas. Yeah. Right in the center of it. And it did. It almost didn't. It almost crashed that plane. So, so check it out. So we're opening the venue. I'm like, we. I want to see if we. There's. I thought. I still don't know why it didn't work. Like we would try and build late night New Orleans in Las Vegas. Yeah. So I was like, let's get Galactic. Uh, great. You know the best yeah. band from New Orleans. You know. Yeah. And we'll book them for two weeks because, like, if we do a, a night or two, you won't really know. 
Yeah, yeah. Because when you do the run of two weeks, just like Bowl Live, like yeah. when we did the 10 night, you know, you do the, the promotions like that you have to do for one show, you might as well. If you could do that for 10, it would do like the two weeks, one thing, you can just hit it harder. Right. And you can right. spend more behind it. Like, right. so we're going to go to Vegas and try and test that. And this, who, how would someone know if late night New Orleans, Bay, you know, band like Galactic starting at 11 o'clock every night in Vegas? You know, how, no one could tell me like that works or doesn't because no one had done it. Right. Back to an idea, like you've tried to think of something that hasn't happened. And I'm not counting like the bar, you know, at the Bellagio with 38 people and like an or, you know, I'm talking about New Orleans late night galactic 11 to 1 to 2 every night in Vegas. Right. I mean, there's all these people in Vegas, late night, jazz fest, celebration, Mardi Gras. So I booked two weeks of Galactic. Yeah. And um, to book play right after you opened it. Yeah. First gig was you with Twitter. And um, I remember the opening that, and it didn't sell any fucking tickets. Right. I'll be honest. I remember looking at like six tickets and saying, we had to make them all free. Right. Like, and I joke, those guys now come for one night. And they right, crush right, it, you know, right, and right. they know we'll always have that time together. But I, I still, I'm listen, I'm talking about ideas that were like, it didn't work, but I'm glad I did it because I know it didn't work. Right. You right. wouldn't know otherwise. Right, like right, you got to right. try stuff. Like people would tell you, I don't think like the Capitol theater, like when we painted that mezzanine in a certain way, everyone was like, I don't think this is going to work. It looks like you're, you know, black and gold. And it's like, so you know, keyboard was think. You know, a lot of people don't think it's going to fit, but you don't know until you try it. We'll be right back after this short break. Just to add to the, like... New Orleans and New York thing. Um, what was so beautiful about Brooklyn Bowl, and I think this applies to Wetlands too, and specifically to Bowl Live, is that we it brought such a new. Yes, there was New Orleans esque vibes, and especially like the late night and the long hours. But what was so unique about the shows, at least the Bowl Live shows, and a lot of our Wetlands shows, was the variety of music and culture that was happening that was very uniquely New York. You know what I mean? So, cause there's in one particular night, Soul Live will have John Schofield, a legend of jazz, Talib Kweli, a, a hip hop legend from Brooklyn and like Warren Haynes and who's like a Southern rock, you know, icon really at this point, all in the same night, all with the same audience, with the, all the energy building together. I don't know of that many, shows like that you know that can pull that off in one place you know and us being the band behind it all of course but that that venue and that those concepts helped breed this thing and not only that it's like kind of the modern day music fan that i think came out of that to a certain degree and this all in mean started at the wetlands because soul live and lettuce all these things and dj logic and all the people we were playing with there was hip hop there. It was just good music. You know, it came out of the jam band concept, but the wetlands was like this home for people that just liked music. And it was a broader thing, you know, cause the, all the music that was happening was cross all these different genres, you know? 
Uh, it's like what you said it earlier, you're chopping wood, you know, right. and Questlove had a cool quote. Questlove said like, your broken bowl is my wood shop. Right. My woodshed. My yeah. woodshed. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's cool. If you can create a place where someone's comfortable, you're comfortable to do all the exploring you can. You know, and it's a result of a lot of, of like obsession. Right. You know, right. on the details, on the detail, like look staring at the ceiling. Right. And the experience stuff. I've done a show, like even if I'm not at the show, I've done one every night for 20 years. Like, right. And you're responsible. So I think of the D, you know, so like you do it a lot. You like every part, what I've learned is matters. Kind of like you yeah. probably first saw, you know, like if you play one note wrong, it fucks up the whole song. Or if there's, you know, you're playing a nine minute song live and there's a feedback moment, a bad one off the mic, yeah. you know, you, they, you'll remember that and be like, yeah, they told the whole take didn't work. Is it right? <laughs> so like for, I, for my version of that, I don't even know if these are good analogies. No, it is. It's it is. like the experience of coming in at the, with the security yeah. or going to the bathroom and like, you're there for three hours, but you go for the bathroom for three minutes. Yeah. You have a bad experience. You probably be like the fucked up my night. Yeah. You know, and like the food or the drink and the wait for the drink. And like, it's back to like the thing I was saying about the 30 people or three chat, like all the little parts are part of it. But they're like a chain, like little, they could be small, but they're on the chain. So if you take something small off the chain, even if it's a small part, you know, the chain gets fucked up. But I think one of the things that you've always done that's unique too is, um, not been, try to keep the chain together. You got to keep the chain together. But there are times probably where you adding certain details that are important to you may have made you made the venue or made the company or whatever you want to call it less money. A gold chain. But yeah, exactly. It might've been a gold chain, but you, you see beyond that. Cause I think you're seeing the bigger picture. Certain, a lot of people would say, Oh, well, I'm not going to like give out, 800 shots of Patron to the audience because that's, oh, why would we wait? But to you, that was an important thing. Like people are going to keep coming back when they feel um, treated a certain way. You know what I mean? And like, that was the thing with Bro right. Live too, is we'd always do those, but you came out and you bought shots for the entire yeah. crowd. The t-shirts um, for everyone. The t-shirts for everyone, those little things. Too. And this is going to segue into another thing because I want to talk a little bit about GD50, but I remember going in and the handing out the rose to everybody at the GD50 concert. Um, and I remember being like walking in and I was like, there he is. Cause a lot of my friends were like, we were, we were, t I was with a whole group of friends and you actually helped us like get the tickets. And I was like, I gotta come to this. I mean, this is something I can't miss. And when we walked in and I, and I had grabbed that rose, I was like, Shappy, he's here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That so, was the, yeah. Uh, the tie dyed rose. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a By nice way, touch. I'll give you one. Here's, here's one. You ready? So something that tie I'd fairly well, uh, the dead 50. Yeah. I got, I got two examples of like things that are, there's the chain and then you're like put adding things to the chain, like that are important, right? right. They are big above it. There's the basics, bathroom experience, security experience, yeah. drink experience, sound lights. Those are basic. Then there's the, like this stuff, yeah. you know, the, 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 the kismet. So here's um, one. Um, we got all the security guards. Do you remember? to in addition to the tie-dyed rows we gave out to everyone to wear a tie-dyed shirt they still haven't <laughs> said security in their name by the way yeah. also at brooklyn ball and charlie ryan partner gets a lot of credit like we came up with in the back of the security jay it says welcome not security nice. like that's yeah. a little thing but changes the tone a little and then at, at the um 
stadium. First of all, it was the last show ever in a U.S. major stadium without going through the airport scanner because it happened in July of 15 and then in August in Paris, stuff happened where like yeah, after that this. they had yeah. airport. So you came in and we worked, I went and met with the mayor in advance to be like, listen, if we play zone defense, the police, like this is going to go a lot better, right? Because right. if, it's, if it's more one-on-man coverage, one-on-one, one guy gets arrested, yeah, this. And like, if you remember, so it was pretty chill coming in, which made it easier. And then you, all the security guards were wearing tie-dyed shirts. Yeah. That's and that beautiful touch. a different, yeah. It's like that kind of thing. We spent 10 grand like on shirts for that, you know, 500 guys, but, and women, you know, and we had to make different kinds of shirts, size people, this, and maybe it cost more grand, 15, 20, but like, it was a lot, but not a lot. Because I remember afterwards, because it sets tone, every person interfaces with the security person. I think uh, that one has to, has to come from the fact that you are a fan, right? Because if you were just a businessman in this thing, you would never you would see that. You would 15, never see grand. the 10 grand to be worth it or the 20 yeah. or whatever it is. And I, so would you say that the attention to detail in a lot of these things comes from you being a fan? And I know you followed the dead in the nineties, right? And you were, you were out seeing shows and this was a passion for you. And do you, do you see that as, 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 you know, kind of how the, how these details. I just see it. Like you said, that's why I go home. I look at, I just see it. And another one is like when I had wetlands, when I first came in, it might've been the Christmas 96 and they had holiday lights up, uh, you know, the Christmas lights, yeah. which even today we could go into Costco right now or target and buy like a set to fill your whole room or mine or anyone who's listening for 20 bucks, Yeah, you know, in the house for 50, 40, not a lot of money. They're 20 bucks. Like, cause they're led. They're just cheap. So anyone can afford this. What I'm going to tell this story. Yeah. They had Christmas lights up at wetlands at the bar, right? Yeah. And um, so Christmas goes by and New Year's and um, they take the Christmas lights down. And it was just amazing to see the difference. The energy got sucked out. <laughs> right. No, I'm serious. It went right. dark. Like, so I was like, we got to put the Christmas lights back. And they went back for the next five years. And if you notice at Brooklyn Bowl, you notice at arm bars, yeah. we have Christmas lights. And right. in all of them, the one in Vegas, the one in that, like they'll always wear Like A, it's literally like 50 bucks. I swear. And it impacts every person. It lifts the energy of the room. And right, anyone right. can try that at home if they have a bar. If you have a yeah. bar, this is my I got Christmas lights there. all around my studio, actually. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. yeah. I see it behind and then you. I, and then I have those are all, all, all on. Uh, that I, was I a can good make story. it any color. You have I it can make it, yeah, I can make it any color. Um, that is a small tip. That's a, that's an example of like an idea that is not expensive yeah. and, and has immense impact. They lift the whole room. You And, uh, so that's like, you can do a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff is expensive to figure out sound lights, this layout, this, but then you can try to figure out things, you know, I shouldn't probably have given it, you know, it's just a simple idea, but it's incredibly effective. And, um, so I love Christmas lights and, um, tie dyed shirts and security. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are all touches 
that make a difference. Um, so tell me a little bit, you don't have to tell the entire story, but I want to know a little bit of, of how GD50 came together. Can you give me a little bit of background on that and what wrangled it, uh, everyone together and how it became what it, what it became? Fortunately, um, so I like doing this stuff in the wetlands and the jammies and relic, you know, I got the opportunity to work with the different dead members just individually. Right. One the first one was Bobby Weir and God bless him. He's one of the great people. He played the 10th anniversary of wetlands in 99, which was great that he came to do it. I asked and asked and asked and Phil, I actually worked, I think with Billy and Mickey and Phil was probably the last one I did. Uh, he came out to jammies, right. um, where he got to play with Ryan Adams for the first time, which he loved. They played yeah, an amazing yeah. warfare. Yep. at the theater at Madison Square Garden about 15 years ago. Yep. So then I um, I renovated the Capitol Theater and I invited Phil to come play and his wife Jill came. And I think in there, I, one of the things I wanted to do was the walls. I saw it, just this film background, just like Brooklyn Bowl, a lot of it is about the wall, the screens and the layout. Like when we open, sometimes they'd be like, oh, it's like Epcot Center for uh, adults. Right. Like, okay, <laughs> that works for me. I'll take it. Or Epcot for stoners, you know. Yeah. Okay, you got us, you know, and it's like bands because the screens. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the, the Capitol Theater, you've been, I know, but like anyone else, it's these rounded walls that I saw. It could be like planetarium. Yeah. We could project on them. So I was doing these projections and and, and doing the touch you know, with the, uh, you know, of, of what I try to do and, and Phil loved the venue and the sat, you know, and Jill was there. And so we, we started just coming up with, you know, Phil decided he's the oldest of the members. Yeah. He's 80 now. And this is, you know, he's over 70 when this happened. He wants to slow his touring down and, and they're smart. They're just like, you know what? He's got a place out West. They were building, I think Terrapin Crossroads. Yep. He just wants to have a home out East. Um, and not get in the bus and go to Philly, Boston, DC, you know, yeah. that he'll just play at the Capitol. And they were right. And I believe it would the people for a great venue like that. And it's not, I didn't build it originally. It was built in 1926 by Thomas Lamb. Just a quick interjection. My very first, first concert, concert I ever saw, I was, I think, uh, 11 or 12, 11, I saw Hot Tuna at the Capitol Theater. And then um, I saw I, I saw Fish open for the blue for uh, Blues Traveler there. Saw a Cram rescuing it open for Fish. Saw yeah, without, of, and without the cap, there'd be no fairly well. Because so I yeah. built this relationship with the Phil. Yeah, and he loved the cap. And so check out so so dead fifties approaching uh, two thousand. So this is probably a year or so in advance. And I wanted to broach it. I knew because I had tried to get the fortieth anniversary. Yeah, to do something. So. But Phil, you know, Phil has a great thing going and you've played with him um, and then it's been a great relationship because he trusts me to do a little bit like what we did at Wetlands yeah, or what yeah. we did at Bowl Life, yeah. which is let's bring in, um, you know, Schofield. Sound yeah. familiar? Yeah. <laughs> He's still, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Warren, Derek, Chris Robinson, a lot of the Bowl Life cats, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Luther Dickinson, Jackie Green, we did shows, Medeski, obviously Russo. Yeah. You know, all these players we got to do stuff with. And I would, he had trust where he would, I would just say, we should do Preservation Hall, you know, and, and instead of opening, they'll play in the second set in Drums in Space, like, or, um, and he would do it. So, so he wanted to do that. 
he would love doing that because he's playing with a different band each time. But anyway, so people were approaching the dead about coming reuniting for the 50th. And um, it just helped that Phil was coming back every few months to play the Capitol. Right. Because he was happy with what he was doing, yeah. you know, and it was moving forward. He likes, I think, moving the music forward. Yeah. With new people like Kraz. Yeah. With like Alan and Neil too. Remember yeah. we did yeah. Soul Live yeah. with Carl D. I feel really good. I've gotten a lot of the guy bands with him. Yeah. Um, he, that was new and exciting for him. The dead thing he did. He did it with Jerry, you know, the guys and then Jerry died. Um, but I, you know, really helped that I had the, they had this relationship with him and I could see him. Right. Right. Like all the time. Right. And that's another thing with these ideas and make putting them to life. You need collaboration, but being, and it's actually a valid point now, particularly with going through COVID because you and I are doing this thing like virtual, right? you know, and maybe if it wasn't COVID, we'd be in a room together. And like, yeah. I don't think if Phil Lash hadn't been doing all those shows, the cap, I'm not sure if the dead 50 thing happens the same way. I was able to explain my vision to him yeah. and to Jill in person. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. that's, I don't know, but that's really was a key part yeah. that I was able to express that in person when other people trying to probably do it, you know, might did not have Phil playing at their venue. Right. And if Phil wasn't playing your venue in that year or two, I don't know how you would get to him to tell yeah. him your vision. And then from there, was it you going out to the various different members and eventually was yeah, there? Yeah, I mean, I'm a- weird. I knew, yeah, I was in touch. They have representatives. Yeah. And direct. Yeah. And working through logistics, um, reality. Yeah. <laughs> and all that entails, economics. Did you bring up the idea of Trey? Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I grew up, you know, I grew up loving Trey. As I grew up as a dead kid, you know, I had like a formative moment in my life. Was at Rosemont Horizon, yeah, um, in March of '93, and I saw the Ken Nordine show, and I went and like left. He started doing spoken word and <laughs> Rosemont Horizon. Like I was 21 or something, just like left the show. Yeah, because I was—I don't know what people did. I don't even know how I found my friends. I was in yeah. the parking lot, and it was snowing, and it was all kids like you or me. They weren't going back to Northwestern or Berkeley; like yeah. they were on the school bus, you know, going to the next town. They were on the yeah, school yeah. bus, and they were not going to school. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good school bus. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was a different kind of school. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I went to the library and, and I was a film kid. So I did like, I immediately the next day was like, I, I back to ideas. Yeah. I had an idea. I was going to go on the road and make a film. And by the way, I went on the road and I like could not, I, I did a thing about the scene around the band. Yeah. All the kids in the lot and the drums and on the buses. It was awesome. But, and I went and got like Wavy Gravy and Ken Kesey and Tim Leary, but I could never get a band member. Yeah. From the dead. It to even do an interview. Yeah, yeah. Which is ironic. And then twenty years later, um I put together the fiftieth anniversary. And I, I got one good story just about Grateful Dead like Kismet. So check this out. So Justin Kreutzman, who's Bill's son yeah. and a great filmmaker, and I'm sure yeah. you know him, yeah. and hopefully people listening know him. Great documentary filmmaker. 
son of the drummer Bill Kreutzmann. So Justin, I we brought you know came in. I feel really good about Fairly Well, Candace Brightman, you know, to bring him to do lights. I got to make these big decisions: who was going to be in the band. Obviously, Jeffrey Comenti and Hornsby. We had it with Trey, and I knew growing up as a fish kid that Trey and the Dead would just be met. Bam. Yeah. you know yeah but um so kreutzman he's doing halftime the videos right and we show archival stuff and we had music with it and that music ended up being circles around the sun of course yeah we went to neil casal and more, yeah so but the video that went with neil um the music was like this like doc stuff and we were on the phone you know like we're t- and part of it is like a lot of if you're out east people you collaborate with sometimes are out west so you're on the phone you know look what we're doing now you're out west i like the late night because the phone's not going nuts the email you can really riff so i'm like on the phone with justin like let's do this let's in and he's like i'm like yo i got this footage when i was a college kid i shot this documentary that's first thing i ever did it's kind of how it led me to wetlands by the way yeah larry block who started wetlands saw this film yeah. And Timmy the Leary and Key, and then he's like, You, <laughs> he, he can't know it's true. That led me to yeah. getting wetlands. Know, it all comes back around. So I sell Kreutzmann. I'm like, Summer in 93. You know, I went to this Rosemont Horizon show in March. I flew my mind away. You know, I was a film kid. I found a kid who owned a video camera. We got in a van and we went on tour, we made a documentary outside, you know, all the, the summer tour for a month. He's like, Dude, he's like, Summer 93. He's like, I was, you know, hanging out on tour. He like, I was just backstage and I never left. And I was like, well, I was outside and I never got in. But I'm like, Deer Creek? He's like, yeah, I was at Deer Creek. And I was back hanging with Jerry, you know. So literally we had it fairly well. The video footage was, there were moments, was footage that Justin Kreutzman, who's about the same age, I'm 47, maybe he's a couple years older. Dude, check this out. We were at the same shows right, right, in the right. summer of 93. Nice. I was out in the parking lot with my video camera and couldn't get in. And he was with the band backstage and didn't come out. So we didn't know, but we were shooting two kids, film kids, same age. We're out there doing it. And in the end, for the Dead's official like final shows all together, the video was we went back and forth. <laughs> I did not from know Deer that. Isn't that cool? From particularly wow. Deer Creek in the couple in Buckeye Lake, I think, where it was the same show and environment, and I had the outside footage and he had the inside. That is fucking awesome. That's the Grateful Dead. That's perfect. Is there a way that I could see any of that? <laughs> I know, I know, I can find. Actually, where can I find your original documentary? Yeah, is that on like? If YouTube? you go on YouTube, it's yeah. called In Miles to Go. And there's also a Wetlands documentary for those. Yeah, that don't that's know. on YouTube also. Wetlands Preserved. Yeah, and I, I think I think I have a pretty lengthy interview in there. Yeah, actually, there's some good crap that was shot um, at the Jammies. Um, I think that was at the MSG Theater, right? That was actually the time when it was Soul Live, Reggie Watts, and the Harlem Gospel Choir. Oof. Which was a good one. That was a good one. We shot video of that somewhere. Yeah. Reg, yeah, I need I to mean, see that actually. I want to see. I that. wonder if that's on lot. Yeah. yeah, so much stuff. I I wish I knew where it all was, <laughs> but yeah. it's somewhere. We should talk offline. We could get you that. And look yeah. what we did. Like I remember, and I'm so glad we've shot a lot of it. Yeah. Um, like the first bowl live, we made that video right. Yep. The DVD the or DVD. Is that the second one, and just yeah. um, 
all these memories because otherwise you wouldn't remember them. Yeah. It's hard. I remember it all. I mean, and I just know the feeling of um, being there and being side stage and Neil right there. And you, and just that I miss that. I know my spot and right. what it feels like to look up on that stage and see the three of you, yeah. usually with a scut and Sco's look and, yeah, yeah, or yeah. whoever. And I just, I, and then you've played another 50 times in other things. In other there. things, so like, you know, with Phil or with Bob. You, you've done, like, so let's say the place is 10 years, it's 11 years old. Yeah. And it's like 350. I mean, I know it's 365, but it's 35. It's been there about 4,000 days. Yeah. Open, it been there. I mean, uh, if it's open, maybe open 3,500. Dude, you've played, like, a two, I mean... At least two hundred. Nearing two hundred times, yeah. right? Two hundred. Because soul lives a hundred, and that's half. That's half. Yeah, not and even the because sitting in her ten sit-ins. times a yeah. year, nine times a year, you've done it. Yeah. So four hundred. I mean, think about that. A place that's been open every night for eleven years, and you you're there in some form. Five percent of the nights. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's, that's pretty crazy. Five percent out of eleven <laughs> years, every night. Not even just yeah. the nights were open. That's out of the, the crass. That that's makes me feel really good. It, it's you know, it's, it's proud, been. You know? I mean, and so many of the nights have been epic. The first, I mean, the first time I really played with Phil actually was at Jazz and Colors when yeah. you coordinated that, which was Joe Russo. Phil and myself. That's on YouTube, actually. First time I, you know, Soul Live had opened for Phil many years before that, but that was the first time playing together. And then I think it was that night or the next day he played with with uh, Terrapin Family Band, and I sat in uh, at the yeah. Bowl. You, I remember, um, I remember how excited you were and, and yeah. um, how psyched I am. We got to make it happen that beautiful day, and. Uh, and then you play, got to play a bunch with him. And, and that's how it happens. You just yeah. need to like get it going. And then, then back to like that comfort of like the idea and then putting it together and like starting really for how we learned how to do that at Wetlands. For sure. You know, for and sure. then people, but people can do it on different scales. And I don't know how it'll be different now. It's like this virtual world and virtual. And you guys have, yeah. we've already talked about collaborating and how to get rid of, I think with time and maybe with 5g or super speeds, latencies will go down with this virtual across the, right. like, I mean, just talking right now, there's no real late like, and playing and collaborating and how, but I, I, I wanted to work, but in a way I don't want that to be perfect because yeah. what we grew up doing was collaborating in real life and on stage and like, and all the brainstorming we've had together about this person and that and how to do this. And like, if it gets too easy to be done virtually. Yeah. We could get lazy and not actually make things happen the way they should. I mean, the thing is though, the one, the thing that, is that I don't think this will ever replace us being together, especially for music. But I will say that COVID happening 10 years ago without any of this would have made it really rough. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of that. What would have happened yet with kids and the school and like, it's going to, people are going to need live music. We, We will get to a different place than where we are now, but it might be a different normal. Like a lot of people are saying, when is it going to get back to normal? I'm like, I don't think the normal that we knew will necessarily exist again. 
You know, I mean, I'm a type of guy that tries to look at the silver linings and I know that you are too. And I think there's certain things that, you know, we're, we're moving at the pace we were moving at before, like me slowing down in the past a little while. I mean, if, you know, you know, I'm about to have a kid and a lot of things for me actually got better with slowing down. I needed it. I mean, I'd been touring for 20 you years, were running hard. you know, and, and balancing so many different things that it's given me a chance to focus on a few things that maybe were neglected um, and, and helping me focus on some cool things that I can do from home. You know what I mean? Like having a podcast, producing more and things like that. However, as far as playing guitar and playing music, I need to do that in, with people. You know, and doing that in front of people and having that exchange of energy with the crowd, you can't replace that with a computer. How are your skills without having done gigs for five months? Well, I'm still playing a lot. You know, I'm recording, I'm making a new album. So, I mean, I probably am not at my (laughs) sharpest as far as playing for hours on end. You haven't done a bowl live show. I haven't done a three-hour bowl live show or a three-set fill show in a while. But, you know, I'll be ready. I'll be ready when the time comes. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. The lock-in, I was psyched that I was in the woods there to see you crush that. Remember that? That was, just, one, that was nice. That's about a year ago, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, oh, I missed that. It's almost right about now. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, that was a really, really great show for us. It just felt like it was an interesting thing too, because you know, Soul Live hasn't been super active in the last five, six, seven years. We've only really been done Bowl Live and a handful of other shows. So it was interesting to play in the forest there for a lot of people that there was it was or it was maybe half and half or even less that that hadn't seen soul live you know what i mean so they knew me from other things they might know then but like to see the band we were like going for it that night you know and uh it was packed out there and it was great full facts yeah they were going for it they were full down yeah Um, it was great it was really great. And then, of course, Circles playing. And then I got to play with Neil and and Bobby and O'Teal. Of course, like right before the tragedy of, of losing Neil, which obviously was horrible. Um, yeah, like we haven't even thought. I hadn't thought about that soul live. You're set in the woods because like when yeah. I thought of the woods, I've thought of Neil. Of course. Um, who's, um, I think, maybe the night before. I think, yeah, he was. And, and you think about back to I just sort of circled around because I yeah. got off when you asked about Fairly Well. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that was like the best part of Fairly Well um, was just the whole circles and Neil Casal thing. Just that that came, just being in it. Sometimes it's cool to feel something like you were. No one was expecting that to kind of right. become what it was, and. Um, and it's really cool when that happens. Yeah, you know, it, is, it doesn't it happen. Is. Or when someone like Neil and that music's given that platform, you totally. know, with so many people in the stadium and so many people at home and just so amped up. And I, I the best part of Fairly Well was also like that it was kind of so big. Like, I don't right. think you can, you could do that today. You couldn't even do it today because yeah. the way the media is and it was before, um, 
this president, like just the way yeah. I don't think you could do it now for yeah. various reasons. One of which is like, it was in almost, it was only five years ago, it was like a different time, but it was like a big part of the social like thing that summer, like what people talked about, war oh, cool sure. stuff. For and sure. I miss like TV you talked about. It's like, there's so much great stuff out there, but like there's a hundred great TV shows. Like yeah. I kind of miss it when there was 15 or 10 and like <laughs> the Sopranos, what everyone talked about at the yeah. water cooler, like yeah. fairly well similar. Like everyone taught like the anticipation and like talking about it with your friends, like you, like getting how many, you, you said it, like, you know, what are you going to bring? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to play after? Yeah. That was one of the cool, there was like, there were 50 events after each show, 50 shows basically That's around crazy. Chicago. We weren't a part of it. Yeah. Um, they were tied to like fairly well after party. Yeah, remember yeah. everyone came. And like, that was part of it. That was part of the, the happening was like, it, it was that the show, but it was also, and when I see people like, like they literally come up like in an airport thing. And this is the best part of what I do is other parts. Not so good, especially right now. Um, not talking to you, but Corona, yeah, dealing yeah, with yeah. all the venues of, of Corona. Course, of course. But they're like, yo, bro, they're like, you Pete Shapiro? Like, yeah, and they're like, yo, dude, just want to say, yo, thank, like, yo, Chicago, thanks, bro. Like, yeah. and they say the same thing every time, bro. Best weekend of my friends ever. Like, yeah. they never say best concert ever. Yeah, yeah. But they always say it was the best experience. experience. My, I I have friends. to agree, and I. You By know, the way, you said that. Remember, you were like, "I was with my friends." Walking yeah, in. it's true because I, you know, and I rarely fully go to something as a fan anymore. It's usually like I'm at a festival and oh, I can catch this one set and then I got to go or I got to do this or that. And I made sure, I mean, even though I did play one of the nights, I had two nights where I got to just go fully immerse myself in it. And it was like, it was so smooth going in, being there. There was never like a hassle of any sort. And I was kind of expecting there to be a lot more um, hiccups in the whole thing, you know? And friction. Really, yeah. There was no friction and everybody there, including security and everyone. And I think now that you've explained some of those things, uh, those details were, were way more important then I think maybe everyone realized, but they all are saying it was, this was an incredible experience. They may not pinpoint it to one detail or the other, yeah. but the fact is like all of that, you oh. know, that chain, like going back to the yeah, golden no, I'll chain. I'll give you one more. I want about not being able to pin people at the Capitol theater. Yo bro, love the vibe, Capitol yeah. theater. Love the vibe. I know one of the reasons is like, there's no corporate, you don't see like the uh, Metro PCS mezzanine bar yeah, yeah. you know or the heineken loud like and that's fine and by the way you make more money that way for share if you're looking to return a share you know but like you take you lose like will people still go to the show if it was the verizon capital theater yeah they'll still yeah. go like is it different when you walk in and you go to the bar there's a big metro pcs bar sign right. yeah right. it's different so like literally people they're like saying what you just said like they don't even realize it you know, so it's like, but they're like, you know, in a way, like, you know, people don't realize, but like, yo, the vibe, I don't know, something about it, it's great. I, I don't take all the credit. It's just smart. It's literally, I think, without those signs, I, like, people subconsciously do feel the difference. Yeah. yeah. When it's not there. Right. I, I think do. there I is a that. subconscious thing there. And, uh, what, how did you feel walking away from that show? Like, how did, um, after that weekend, did you feel, um, 
Like, were you just on high you know or were you happens. thinking about t- logistics or like, yeah, no, I was high. Obviously. No, yeah. I was, you know, here's one, honestly, at the end, like at the end, like the lock in at the end, you know, cause you wake up in the morning. It's just like looking at the phone. I just hold my breath. Like everyone alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's no, true. And, uh, at the end of like a great weekend or the end of a great run or a great show, like really more a festival or fairly well kind of, at the end, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't want it to. Like once it's once it's over, like, and I see people leave it. Like it's it's you can't change that experience. It's in the books. Yeah, it's yeah. done. And you did it. And like whatever happens from there, like the poster, the person's on their way home. Like nothing. We we we've done our part. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that's a good feeling to be honest. Yeah, I yeah. remember being on the plane from Chicago fairly well. I had the grateful that pizza box and Giorno's, but uh people on the plane coming i just remember the feeling of like feeling really good it was did that we had done it like nothing could ever change that right, right and by the way it goes the other way and i experienced the other way i know dude do you remember i don't know if anyone listening remembers if you do the monday so fairly well was a friday saturday sunday july 3rd through 5th in 2015 on monday july 6th there was like a crazy lightning storm in Chicago. And in Chicago. Crazy. I didn't yeah. even remember that. Dude, mountain girl called and she's yeah. like, Jerry's crying. Wow. With tears of joy. Yeah. yeah. That's how she's like, that's him. Wow. And, uh, when that rainbow came in Santa Clara, right, I was like, right. I was with Trixie Garcia. It was awesome. Yeah. Jerry's daughter. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's your dad. Right. She's like, yep. Yeah. But um, Mountain Girl's like it's he's crying tears of joy. Like if that storm had come the night before and it was <laughs> it lightning, no, it's true. Yeah. Well, it was lightning. It would have like evacuated the stadium. And it's dangerous to do concerts in July in Chicago. Right. Lightning you and know, all three evacuated. nights were perfect, as far as I remember. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, and that's a huge part of it. By the way, yeah. these people saying best weekend. I'm not taking all like a big part of it. A little part is hopefully the rose and like then yeah, going yeah, remember yeah. the photos of them. Obviously the music and Tread they uh, what they all did and the sound and Derek Featherstone did and Candice and yeah. Justin's halftime and Sir. It's all part of it, but like, like a big part. When you have weather that's not like there's a there's bad okay and good weather three different kinds yeah. bad okay good. You know, okay, you can like get through it. You know, bad's bad, right? Sucks. You're not going to, and everything gets fucked up. It's all dominoes. If it's bad weather, the loading is slow. Things are delayed. When you're waiting online, you don't like it. You're unhappy. And (laughs) things have all snowballed to unhappiness. You're unhappy. Your wife, your girlfriend, your friends are unhappy. And like, if the loading's late, the band production guy, no one's happy. It's delayed. And like, if weather's okay, like, we'll take it. Like, you can still have a good time. Yeah. And we'll take it. Cloudy. But when it's good weather, and this was great weather, there's good. I should add a fourth great weather. When it's 74 and like, no humidity. Yeah. I'm serious. Like, it has impact yeah on people's experiences in ways they have no they don't realize just like they don't realize by not seeing the metro pcs bar they're like i love the vibe yeah. but they don't know is that and i'm telling you because when you're waiting on first of all loading all the equipment all it's all smooth but you're waiting on beat you're like this is great it's beautiful you're not like in a bad mood 
everything's good. And we just got really lucky. It was 74 degrees, that kind of weather, 75 everyday new human. And I think that stuff's big. Yeah. Um, because then I've been through the other, if we had had to evacuate, if that weather had come the day before, you know, the whole experience, my life would be different. I believe that. We wouldn't get that <laughs> yeah. same shit in the airport. Yeah. I believe that. I think it would have been a little different. It would have been still good. And then we would have gotten two nights in back to like, yeah. are we done? Like, and I remember at like, and, and, and because once it's done, like it's in, look at what we're talking about memories, yeah. you know, you, you want everyone to have those memories, you know, and, and nothing can change them. Yeah. Even if people don't fully remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, remember, they know they had a good time though, bro. Yeah. But I've had bad, I've had experience when I did Earth Day once. I, uh, this is a good one. Like I did an Earth Day in 2000. I did a few of them on the National Mall. You probably know we yep. did something. Yep. Yep. And uh, this is good. It was like 07 or 08. And we had Chevy Chase hosted Earth Day on the National Mall in D.C. Yeah. And by the way, I felt like I tried to bring our world into some of these things. You guys, I remember Mule, I think, played and Humphreys, but it was Chevy Chase and OAR. And he was the host, the MC. It was a free concert on the National Mall for Earth Day, the official event. Yeah. And the storms, the rain came. It was just nuts. And he, he did this funny stuff with his umbrella getting blown over. And like we saw each other the next morning and it was lightning. And yeah. they called, we had to evacuate. Yeah. We once at Lockin had to evacuate Tom Petty. And then we brought everyone back in. And we were like, how do we tell everyone who went to their cars in this camping festival to come back? So I went to Dave's school. It's widespread play before him. I'm like, can you drop some bass bombs? Because what better way to tell the public went to their campgrounds in a lightning storm that you come back for the concert? Than Dave School bass palms. I thought that would be good. <laughs> Chevy Chase. So it's storming. It's lightning. We call it off. We have, you know, we, I see him the next day in the hotel in the morning. This is, and he's like, he. This was one of the best parts of my life. Was Chevy turned into Fletch? Like he yeah, knew what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, Drops yeah. him, and he's like, Peter. Uh, I just want to say, I thought you did a great job producing the event. The rain. You know. By the way, he pulled out. So he said. Like, can you get my car for me? And he handed me 20 bucks. <laughs> so he was just very fletched. You know, I, I, yeah. I produced Classic. this event with him. Classic. And he, the next morning, he's like, you did a great job. By the way, uh, yeah. can you grab my car for me? And he handed me 20 bucks. And That's I was funny. with Chewy, you know, like he dropped uh, some fletch on me. Course, you know, when you're like, there's nothing better than like being in the movie. Yeah, you know, when yeah. your life is the movie. <laughs> oh my God, that's classic. I mean, there's so many. I mean, one thing that I got to say about uh, you having schools come drop the bass bombs is like, you know, it's rare. And I think maybe, maybe Bill Graham, I know you get a lot of comparisons to Bill Graham and he might be somebody who I can put under this, the, the, the moniker that I'm about to say, but not many producers that are really running these events from the very top are that intimate with what's actually happening and are, is a fan of what, like, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, I don't, maybe I'm, I shouldn't say a name, but like John Cher or something. You think he knows about schools dropping base bombs or that that's even a thing? You know what I mean? So I guess one of the, th that combination of, of, you know, obviously the innovation and the, the ability to produce these massive events and the balls it takes to put something like that on, but also 
the fact is that you're a fan of the music. And I've seen that excitement so many times. Like how many times was I on stage at Brooklyn Bowl and I look over and you're like, yeah, you know what I mean? That's when I know, that's when I know we're there. It's kind of like this gauge that I'm like, okay, we're there right now. And it's, it's funny because I also think you, I don't know if that's just some magical thing where you appear at that spot right when we're hitting that peak, or maybe I don't know you're there and like you're bringing it. I don't know what combination it is, but I do know that that's when I know we're there. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the show. And I think the same thing kind of happens at lock-in and various uh, different things. And I, I think that that passion comes from your love for the music, just like all of those musicians you work with. We love what we do so much. Yeah, you know what I mean? Thank and, you. I can't wait to get back to that. You know, yeah, yeah that part, uh, <laughs> that's the that's best part of what I, I think I've lost, you know, um, something with that yeah. being gone. Yeah. Cause I still got to do like, we're talking about the ideas and the, in the X in the hard part during the day of dealing with the slop. Right. Right. You know, and just, especially now and doing your best, and like, so before it'd be like, you deal with the slop during the day, but then you get that moment at night, like the payoff. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just like, we got slop. There's not really many payoffs. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm like really committed to like, I want to feel that feeling again. So yeah. I just do whatever it takes. Well, I do think that, you know, I know, and I know you're dealing with fans.com and there's a lot of, the one thing that we are able to do is watch some of these things that we did and do that we did yeah. and that you've done yeah. that, um, we can appreciate them. And, you know, I, that's, that's my silver lining at the moment. And just to know that we did record it a lot. Yeah. It's cool that you're doing this thing. I'm excited about this. You, know, you wouldn't have probably done it. Like you got to no. flip the moment in the positive and by the way we are i just gotta like i said i'm working on something that like wouldn't be possible right. and i have done more of this streaming and how to be innovative and bring fans into it with that and like look what you're doing i don't know how many yeah. of these have you done now this is around 20 of, or we're, we're no about, way yeah well it'll be by the time you know yeah there we've got at least like 25 in the can so we're i'm just doing them every week and um, it's been great. I've been able to connect with so many people. By the way, you didn't know you probably, if you were still running around playing and you had the baby count, like yeah. you wouldn't have been able to do 20 of these. Yeah. Definitely you know, not. Back in the other. So like, and that's true for everyone. Like you just got to try to figure out what you can improve yourself on. You know, not for forever, just for this time. Yeah. You know, for sure. For sure. Because it, I do hope it'll be back. And you're right. The new back will be new. will be a little different. It won't be the same. Matter. I think we've always appreciated what we what we do and what we've done, but I I think there'll be another level of appreciation when we get back to it, and hopefully that that sustains. But uh, it's pretty amazing what I, just the the stuff that I've been able to do with you and then watched you do has been uh, thanks, bro. Amazing. So anyway, I, I really thanks, appreciate bro. you sharing uh, thanks, a lot of the stories behind that. Yeah, I can't believe we just did. I'm just looking up that we just did an hour 20 and went back fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, and honestly, cool. there's more to do, but we're going to do it another time because we got plenty. We got, we're going to do this again. We'll do we're, a we're part gonna be two. Doing, we'll do part two. We could do a part two maybe when, um, you know, maybe when we see light at the tunnel or exactly. we get the light. It would be cool to do a follow up, actually. Let's do it. Let's do um, it. Cool. All right. Okay, love you, brother. Love you too, brother. We'll talk soon. 
I want to thank Pete Shapiro for being on the show. It was so good to talk with him. I hope we can get him back for another episode. I want to remind you all once again that we're making playlists for every single episode. Go to Spotify, find Eric Krasno Plus One. Go to the episode. You'll see featured music under the description. So check that out. And then we're going to take this episode out by listening to a song from the Fairly Well concerts back in 2015. This one is Scarlet Begonias.
Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kras plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time.